We're turning our attention now to the importance of whistleblowing, the role of whistleblowing in the country, but perhaps the extent to which we need the legislation in the country around whistleblowing changed to create a better environment for people to actually be able to come forward with whatever information they may have, which they believe could actually assist when it comes to various investigations that are taking part in the state. Let me welcome onto the show advocate Tulima Donsela. She is uh, the the law chair trust person at Stellenbosch uh, University. Uh, advocate Madonsela, good morning and thank you so much for your time. Good morning, Kathy, and congratulations on your new gig, and good morning to the listeners. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Prof. Um, and I know I, I butchered part of, of your title there, but I hope that you, you'll have grace and, and forgive me. It doesn't really have person in it, does it? I don't know where that came from. Um, but I want us to talk about the the role of, of whistleblowers in the country because it has become part of the conversation in terms of why we are not winning the fight when it comes to corruption. And more and more, when we hear the evidence uh, that not only was before the Zondo Commission of Inquiry, but you hear the stories from public servants who are in the system and who are speaking oftentimes anonymously about the fears that they have to carry, even just when they think about the probability of coming forward with any information of wrongdoing that they are seeing and and you know witnessing with with their own eyes. So so given then the the the, the scale on and the scope of evidence that is there to suggest that public servants could well be an asset and I suppose it's not just limited to public servants but people there's so many people that could be an asset to whistleblowing but these people are not coming forward. That's true, Kathy. Firstly, thank you for the privilege to be on the show. Whistleblowers are extremely important. As I said yesterday during the webinar, only one out of ten white-collar crimes are picked up in companies and in government through auditing. And, And therefore, a lot of what we get to know is through whistleblowers, which means... Even though the situation is not as favorable as it should be for whistleblowers, we still have men and women that step up and take the chance and whistleblow because for them it's a question of either pay now or pay later. If they sit with this knowledge in their hearts, they die inside when they know that they are witnessing wrongdoing or they are part of wrongdoing. They die inside in terms of mental health and related problems. And yesterday, we basically said two things need to happen. Firstly, we must use the available law fully. Whistleblowers should come forward. They should be provided the fullest available protection, both in terms of the workplace issues and civil protections. But secondly, in terms of crime making sure that they don't suffer the fate that was suffered by uh, the Quran. The second thing is we need to change the law.
to redefine a whistleblower to include people who are not employees. People who are involved in tenders as well should be protected. And ordinary members of the public who witness wrongdoing should also be protected. And then lastly, that we should also consider some kind of financial support to whistleblowers, whether through having what people refer to as bounty laws or just making sure that currently there's a fund that makes sure if somebody sues them, they're not on their own. And as part of that support also, employ them, because a lot of them become unemployed afterwards. Kemba Maseko is an example. Tigile Satwai Rujet in KZN is another example. Even Musilo Muteku struggled to find a job. And and that's part of the unfortunate situation because even though our society talks big in terms of the role of whistleblowers, what is done in practice simply does not match often the speak that we have about how important whistleblowers are, how they need to be protected. Pardon? So, so, yes. what, so, so what I was saying is that oftentimes... Um, there's a lot of speak about how important whistleblowers are, but we don't see that translated in terms of how they're treated. And I'm speaking even to the the fact that where, where we have seen the likes of the whistleblowers in Trillion, whistleblowers involved in ESCOM, that those people have, have struggled to find employment beyond those positions because, uh, you know, for whatever reasons, corporates don't want to touch them. Um, you know, they, they just, they, they, they somehow have become unemployable. That's absolutely true. Corporates don't want to touch them. And government, too, doesn't want to touch them. I had a conversation with my son afterwards who had been watching the show and had commented during the show in the the chat box. It basically says we need to focus on culture. At the moment, in the African languages, we talk about whistleblowers as in 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 English, they call snitches. Snitches get speeches. So nobody wants a snitch. We mm. need to change the culture and accept that whistleblowers are saving companies. They're saving com- government and they're saving a fortune. And if people knew how much money is, um, how much money goes into the brown envelope business they would value whistleblowers a lot more. Let's talk about the Protected Disclosures Act and the Witness Protection Act and why these have been seen as being inadequate in protecting those who are often uh, exposing the the maladministration that is taking place. I would say the, the current laws the inadequacy comes from the fact that only employees are um, regarded as whistleblowers. If you are on contract, you, you can't be assisted. If you are a business that was, for example, asked for a bribe and somebody else got the, the tender because they, they paid for the brown envelope, 
you're not regarded as a whistleblower. But secondly, even those who are protected in employment, you're protected from suffering in occupational detriment. And most of the times people are not fired for whistleblowing. They create another reason to fire you. I mean, practically for using too much toilet paper. If you look at Figile's case, she was fired for being rude and hierarchical. And then when you are brought back, as in case of Figile, we brought her back as public protector, then they don't want to put you in the same position because some of the whistleblowers are not just whistleblowers. They are the people who stop wrongdoing from happening. For example, if they are chief financial officers, they refuse to pay for things that can't be explained. So that's the first part of the problem. Then the second problem, which is the biggest problem, is being killed or being harmed, as we saw with Babita Diokoran. Is that at the moment there's this, a, a bit of a gap between the Witness Protection Act and the Whistleblower Protection Act. In Witness Protection, you are only protected once you've been identified as a witness in a matter that will be prosecuted. Until then, um, at the moment, although Advocate Mutibi said now they are bridging that gap without, they're not using the law uh, in a very uh, fastidious way. They said, if you're a whistleblower and you think you're threatened, please come through. I want to look at this idea of financial support and, you know, the fact that it's one of the suggestions that has come forward that perhaps whistleblowers need to be offered some kind of a financial support because oftentimes when, again, people are coming forward with information, one of the consequences, at least based on the experience of others, is that oftentimes that means that there is a cut in terms of the inflow of income. How would that be determined? You know, what was the thinking around how much a particular whistleblower would be able to receive? Would it be a standard amount across across the board? What were some of the ideas that came that came forward there? Right, there's two ways to look at it. One is just practically, which I think was Advocate Billy Hofmeyer's suggestion is practically if you are being sued, there should be a fund that is created where your your legal fees are paid by that fund because it's unfair now. Once, for example, the prosecution has failed, not because of you, mm-hmm. they hit you with civil litigation. I remember one guy, for example, who was a witness on witness protection that we helped as public protector. The company that he had whistleblown on uh, sued him. And why? Because the prosecution had never unsealed evidence and decided not to prosecute, having not unsealed the evidence of wrongdoing that he had provided. So how do you know there's no basis for prosecuting if you haven't unsealed the evidence? So part of it is just civil litigation against them and legal costs. Make sure that you take care of their legal costs. And also, should they be unemployed, some kind of stipend to be given to them because a lot of them have lost homes Mm. uh, during this some nearly lost homes so so it's mitigation and just subsistence money what i also put in at the last minute as a spanner in the works is something that i've been suggesting for years that we have something that crudely is referred to as bounty laws which means 
if you whistle low, they prosecuted successfully. You get a percentage of it. In, in the U.S., various states have that arrangement. You can get up to 25% of the recovered money if you were a whistleblower. And then it works with law firms. You, you whistleblow t- t- through a law firm, and the law firm does the investigation and provides the evidence mm. to the NPA. It also would mitigate the possibility of state capture because you can't capture the whole country. I suppose in many ways that would also serve as an incentive for people who are thinking, well, if I'm going to make this decision that's going to affect me and my family's lives in such a great way, if I'm sure of the information that I'm bringing forward and there is a successful recovery and prosecution, there would be something else in it for me in the long run outside of just the fact that I'm doing good. Because, yes, people are doing good, but at the end of the day, bills must still be paid. Absolutely. Then you don't end up suffering such as people like Misilo. For example, if you look at what she whistleblow, which whistleblow at trillion, that money was eventually recovered. So mm. if, if there was a whistleblower kind of arrangement, then she would get some of that. But it would also help in that whatever you whistleblow, you send it to a law firm first. And therefore they check it before it goes to the media. They check the veracity of what you have to say. Because whilst we want whistleblowing, we also don't want people to maliciously uh, soil the names of other people. Let me invite on to the show Willie Hofmeyer, who is the former head of the Asset Forfeiture Unit and was also part of uh, the conversation held on whistleblowing and, you know, the considerations about the around the frameworks of, of protection that needs to be offered uh, to whistleblowers. And I know, Mr. Hofmeyer, that one of your suggestions is that perhaps we need a completely separate entity that's going to deal with cases of whistleblowers. Mr. Hofmeyer? All right. It looks like uh, we're just having a bit of difficulty there connecting to uh, Willi Hofmeyer, who uh, was part of uh, this conversation. And, of course, he is also scheduled to share his insights on this particular story. But we'll continue the conversation with you, Prof. And let's explore this idea of an independent body then to to help with processing just some of the issues and, and, and matters around whistleblowers. Well, I think Willi uh, Hofmeyer has a great idea there. The current whistleblower, what we call them safe harbors for whistleblowers, it is a multi-agency or polycentric arrangement. You can whistleblow to the public protector, to the auditor general, and any other structures that have been nominated under the Act. The problem with that is twofold. One is currently there's no obligation on them to do anything with the information you've given them. So it's a moral obligation. If, for example, people whistleblow to us as a perpetrator, we presumed that they meant we had to investigate. But the law doesn't say you must investigate. The second problem is also this polycentric approach means often whistleblowers then whistleblow to various institutions. And when the information is leaked and then they get killed or, uh, or attacked in some ways, you don't know which of the institutions leaked the information. Mm-hmm. So there's no control around that information? 
No, there isn't, because different institutions have different standards. For example, at the Pop Protector, we had nominated people that could only take the, the protected disclosures, and they were not allowed to circulate the information throughout, and the file would not have your name, the one that is used uh, globally. They, so we would know if anything leaks, that only these people are are collecting information from whistleblowers. But with other institutions, mm. we don't know what are the standards. Yeah. Mr. Hoffman, I understand that we've got you on the line there. Apologies. We seem to have a bit of a problem connecting to you earlier. Can you hear me? Good morning. Yeah, I can hear you clearly now. And Good morning. Fantastic. We're talking about the suggestion that you've made about an independent body to take on the cases of whistleblowers and Advocate Madoncella is raising the, the issue of leakages in terms of information. What are the dangers that that poses? So oftentimes, of course, for people like myself in the media, it's always great when you're able to get some information that is worthwhile to put in the public domain. But uh, I suppose that has an impact on on the kind of cases that are investigated and also on the people that are coming forward with this information behind the scenes. Yeah, I, I think the problem at the moment is that there's nobody that whistleblowers can go to and whose job it is to actually investigate the allegations. And I think the second part that's important is that they must have the law enforcement powers to, to investigate. You know, if there's an allegation against a certain state institution, uh, the body that deals with whistleblowers must be able to go and raid those offices and seize the documents that's relevant to the investigation. But none of that happens at the moment. So, you know, I think that my proposal basically is uh, to put the, some retired constitutional court judges in charge of such a body that will have those powers, partly because they're probably the only institution that was unscathed during the state capture period. Mm-hmm. So I think the public and the, even the politicians should have confidence that the... Uh, that uh, such a body headed by retired constitutional court judges would uh, be rational, would be fair, and would do a proper job of investigating. And and why don't you trust that the current NPA, through the pol- the work of the police, uh, w- uh, w- would be the relevant bodies to do that? I think. You know, there are mixed views about the police. I do have some faith in, in Shamila Batoy and General Labia, who's head of the NPA and head of the Hawks. But the reality is they are saddled with uh, huge amounts of investigations already. Mm. And partly because of the people who've been in charge, I think there is still quite a lot of mistrust in, in members of the public or people with sensitive information going to the NPA or the Hawks because they're not sure it's going to be properly investigated and that their identities are going to be protected when it needs to be protected. Of course, often, you know, the first thing that comes to mind about the role of such a body would be its independence. But we know that even institutions that are supposed to be independents have, you know, had their fair share of political interference. And what then is the risk of such an institution falling prey to that? 
Well, I think that's why my suggestion is retired constitutional court judges. Mm. I do think it's a body where there's been no scandals um, and where I think we really can trust uh, those judges who may now be retired um, to do the right thing. And, you know, I think I just want to mention, because not everybody knows it, but, you know, judges are don't get a pension. They continue to earn the salary that they earned before. So, you know, if you involve judges in, in such a, a, a whistleblower office, um, it's not going to come at a huge salary cost at all. You, obviously, you need to pay travel and other expenses. But uh, I think we've got a a ready-made solution, in a way, from from those judges, of which there are quite a number now who are retired but are still very clever, very capable, and who really, I think, enjoy the trust of of the public. What we do need to do is give them such a body then some real powers that Mm -hmm. they can actually... Uh, act on the information that they get. All right, Willehoff Mayor, let's leave it there for this morning. Uh, thank you so much for being available. I know we didn't have uh, a lot of time. Advocate uh, Tulima Donsela, let me thank you as well for being available. It's just after 11 o'clock. Ruyanda Maume has your latest news.